With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college sports fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast with my usual co-pilot, Austin Ward. Austin, wave at him, my man. You slipped in a new word in that intro this week. It must be a more wide-ranging conversation. Yeah, if you know that, people who listen to my podcast regularly, and believe it or not, there are a few thousand that do that. Uh, they know when I, they, that's a little tip that I'm talking about more than, than Ohio State football, college football. I'm talking about all kinds of sports. And I'm trying not to use the word uh or you know in this podcast also. We'll see how far I get with that. You remember my famous uh cup? Remember that? It was a nice check for Ryan Day. Yeah, it was. Yeah, man. If you're, wow, why I agreed to do that, I have no idea. Actually, I came up with it myself, but that's another story. Bottom line is, Austin, Ohio State, uh, this week, as you and I, as people are listening to this, Ohio State has gotten back to the practice field for spring practice, which is a very – this is one of those – one of those every spring is key, but this is one of those key springs for Ohio State to get its defense uh, straight, to bring on some new guys on the offensive realm. Uh, there's one uh, right there. Uh, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, there, there are some jobs to be had there. You and I are going to get into that later in some other – uh, later uh, podcast, but I wanted to pay tribute a little bit right here to uh, yet another Ohio State National Championship program. The women, the women's hockey team prevailed over Minnesota Duluth in a really exciting uh, championship game on, uh, on what was that, Sunday. And uh, in Penn State, of all places, they played a hockey championship game. But the bottom line is uh, they prevailed. I think it was in Penn State, wasn't it? Brought that trophy home with them and arrived back on campus last night around 10.30 or 11. Had some some people to celebrate with. and um, Yeah, it, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, the championship expectations um, that apply not just to the football program, but almost exclusively across every uh, single program in the athletic department for Ohio State. And, you know, they made an aggressive hire. They saw what worked at some other places and hope to duplicate that. Obviously, it must have done some strong recruiting of uh, one of the best, if not the best women's hockey player in the country and a trophy honoring the best program in the country. You yeah. can't do much better than that. Um, and so whether a ton of attention is on that or not, it seems like they, yeah, people in that Ohio State ice rink uh, the week before were pretty enthralled by what they saw live in that overtime game and uh, decent television audience over the weekend for that Frozen Four. A lot of acclaim for that program. A great hire, some great players, and a great accomplishment, and you you tip your hat to that. It's something else for Ohio State to be very proud of. Yeah, you know, I had a I had a, I had a recently graduated uh, women's hockey player on my podcast, you know, last year, and we talked about that. Nadine Muzzerall, what what she's brought to the fore, and it's just like a get after it attitude, and like you said, but also, you know, you're as good as your players are, really, when you get down to that, when you get down to the. Uh, to the to the national playoffs, et cetera, and boy, every time they were challenged on Sunday uh, by Minnesota Duluth, they stepped up and delivered, and it was it was was pretty 
it was pretty cool to watch, but it was also a sign of, hey, this this program looks like it's here to stay. And I think you agree with me on that, right? I think Muzzerall, Coach Muzzerall, has built a hell of a program. Got something going. And, and again, it's what we've talked about before. You know, when, when Ohio State – Ohio State's going to commit to all of its athletic teams and give them what they need to succeed, um, their coaches and their players. And they've got um, – so much to offer in Columbus, especially in this name, image, and likeness era that, you know, there's, there's been a lot of this research and, and Open Doors has posted this elsewhere, yeah. the percentage of money. Yes, football is always going to be number one, but a lot of these quote unquote non-revenue sports for the schools, well, there, there's a lot of opportunities in that, whether that's a niche fan base or whether that's opportunities to, you know, do camps and, and provide coaching or whatever, a lot of these sports like women's hockey, um, tennis, golf, have opportunities for these players to market themselves and make a decent amount of money. And that's always going to be the case for Columbus a lot more than a lot of their competition, especially in women's hockey. I wouldn't pretend to sit here and say that I know all the rest of their competitors, but I know who they played on Sunday in the championship game. And one of those is going to have – uh, a lot more opportunity around town and a larger population base and a much larger fan base. So exactly. it, once you get things right, and it certainly appears that they've got the right leader, uh, she's got a national championship now to her credit. Um, that's sustainable and probably for a long time to come. Yeah. You know, as I texted uh, Gene Smith afterwards, I said, nothing, there's nothing in the world that beats just consummate joy, you know, and you could see the way that team rejoiced, <laughs> what yeah. that championship meant to the coach, to the players, even to Gene Smith, he gets down in there in the huddle afterwards. He's over there. He gets in the huddle afterwards and leads the cheer, you know, that, uh, wow, a national championship. And to watch them skate around the ice with that championship trophy, it's not exactly the Stanley Cup, you know, but uh, but it's still a, a nice uh, piece of hardware to put up on the mantle. And like you right. talked about, I mean, you know, Gene takes a lot of shots from a lot of people. You know, like I, you know, I've said many times, uh, commissioners, and athletic directors seem to get booed more often than not. Uh, but the bottom line is he he has delivered on a lot of the promises to the women's hockey program, and now they've delivered. And uh, it's kind of a wake-up call probably for other programs, right, within the university that, uh, you know, you've got the uh, wherewithal to compete, to go for national championships. You know, go do it. Doesn't mean you're going to always win one. Doesn't mean you're going to always get to the finals. But uh, the wherewithal is there for you to parlay it. And, uh, you know, by the way, before I get into one little quick conversation about another team that seems to be still trying to find its stride, which you and I will talk about in that program. Uh, my guest this week is Mike, Michael Brewster, former Ohio state center, four year starters beginning his uh, freshman year in 2008, ended up starting 49 games at Ohio state. Second most, I think in history uh, at Ohio state, uh, he's been beating around Went you know, went to the, uh, went to the NFL, uh, as an undrafted free agent, uh, ended up starting for the Jacksonville Jaguars back then in 2012, even though he's undrafted free agent, uh, kind of beat around in, in the NFL, got injured and finally stepped out of that and is, has been working his way up through the ranks of coaching to finally get a full-time coaching job as, as the tight ends coach at Tennessee State, the head coach of whom I had on a few weeks ago, Eddie George. <laughs> former Heisman Trophy winner at Ohio State, but it's it's a really interesting conversation about assistant coaches and them having to work their way up the ladder to get that shot, finally that full-time shot, which 
once you get that full-time assistant shot, it can take you places. But right now he's very happy being in a uh, high-rise apartment uh, near downtown Nashville working for Tennessee <laughs> State. We'll get into that in a minute after after the conversation, but you after my conversation with Michael, but you do feel good for a guy like that, right? hundred uh, percent. I mean, we've known you and I both for as long as we've known this, you can't, even when the graduate assistant and analyst armies weren't as large as they were, you still weren't able to uh, coordinate a practice at certainly the Ohio state level or any real college football level without uh, ex- some help for those full-time ass- uh, assistant coaches and the head coach. You've got a ton of managers and, uh, people running around with bags and, you know, uh, footballs and yard markers. And and I remember just all the work that goes into that dating back to when I first started doing yep. this and was around it in Wyoming. And at that level, what you're talking about with Brewster and someone who's starting at a lower level at the Mountain West, uh, I mean, they still have – you could have to earn up your spot as a GA at those spots just to have an opportunity to do that at a place like Ohio State. And that means that you're – probably making about $13,000 and being asked to continue your education to earn your keep, to be part of that. At least that was the case when, with the people that I knew doing all that uh, labor of love at Wyoming. Yeah. Well, you know, it's changed a little bit where you've got some guys like Keenan Bailey who are, you know, starting in that role and has now been at Ohio state five, six years and is considered one of the key cogs in that and someone that they don't want to lose. Yeah. You'd only, you'd hope that after two years, they'd be done and they'd find somewhere else to go. And it's not that way anymore as, as the staffs have grown larger. But the point is those opportunities are difficult to get. And then the work that you have to do once you get there is so much more <laughs> grinding and, and taxing and difficult. You find out if you're made for it. And that's in the end why you, if you can make it through that and you become a, a full-time assistant coach or a head coach down the road, you get, you get paid back for that work that you put in down the road. Yeah, uh, pretty. Hey, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about that, you know, after my uh, interview with Michael Brewster uh, and stay tuned for that. But just real quick and keep this in a nutshell, OK, because we, we hit on the men's basketball program a, a week ago pretty hard. Well, you did. I was neutral. I was Switzerland. No, I'm just joking. I don't think Switzerland's <laughs> even neutral anymore from what I can tell. Uh, but the bottom line is they got one win. And since then, they, they won one NCAA tournament game and got beaten the, uh, against Villanova. Damn good Villanova team, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I was sitting there watching that game, and then my wife was asking me. She was watching another room because uh, um, she tends – my wife has become a big-time sports fan of, of late. It's pretty funny. She cheers or whatever for teams she doesn't know, even for teams she knows. But she yeah. finally asked me after the game, she goes, you know, they really came back and made a game of it, but why did they keep getting the ball poked out? You know, why did the ball keep getting knocked out? And I said, well – well, that's because for when they made their comeback, they, they understood that Villanova is one of the tightest covering defensive teams in the nation. And if you put the ball on the floor, they're probably going to get their hand on it and knock it out. And I said they finally came to grips with that midway through the second half. And then they lost their they lost that idea again and end up paying the price big time. And it's interesting how this program was really close to, I think, a major victory uh, on Sunday, but couldn't get it done you know, at the end and, you know, but like I said, where, where do we, now, where do we put this? Cause Villanova, what number two seed, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember. That's right. Uh, but, you know, there's no honor lost in losing to a number two seed or one of the, you know, one of the top four, but the flip side of it is there was a game again, it could have been one that was lost in the, 
in the in the late going. Just what's your take? Uh, do 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 you sense that things are on the right path with the men's basketball program at the Ohio State University? Uh, personally, no, I, I don't. And and I've made this point several times, and I want to make it again. I want to be clear. The, the, his team, Chris Holtman's team, played incredibly hard. They played great defense in the opening round. They got that win that, you know, Vegas and others, uh, Loyola Chicago was a trendy pick to win that game. They had yeah. to actually pull an upset, um, you know, to do so. Part of that was the uncertainty over Kyle Young and Zed Key, get all that. But they won that game. They got to play again, and they played for 40 minutes hard. They could have folded when they were down 15. They did not. And that tells you that, the players really uh, enjoy uh, and, and want to play hard for Chris Holtman that they did that. And that's a, a notch in the, pro, in the pro column for him, a plus for what he's doing. Now, I think that he's a, certainly someone that the players relate to and like and believe in, but that doesn't necessarily change the outcome of what happened. And it's, I've said this before, Gene Smith is not going to fire Chris Holtman this offseason. What happened on Sunday is not going to change that. My point was about what giving him a contract extension might mean for the expectations without, if you were willing to do that without even seeing what was going to happen in the NCAA tournament, which now forget about the national championship part or final four. I think there's now another piece of evidence here that you, that can't be ignored, which is how does this relate to your rival? And Michigan is going to its fifth straight sweet 16. And in Ohio State, if it won, would have got to play its rival, and you get to settle that. We wouldn't even be having any of these conversations because Chris Holtman would have found the second weekend. He would have had a chance to beat them head-to-head. Michigan uh, would have been the rubber match from the regular season when they split, and then go to the Elite Eight, and then everything is on the table, and you say you fully believe in Chris Holtman and put some ink on those on that paper and move on. Yeah, uh, Recruiting class coming in, whatever else. But that's not the case for this team. They, he hasn't taken Ohio State to a Sweet 16. They're falling behind their rival. You don't know what's going to happen with Malachi Branham. Everyone points to this recruiting class as the other reason that you wouldn't want to make a move, and I certainly understand that. But the flip side is how you know, much easier it is to build a basketball roster than it is a football roster. And now more than ever in the transfer portal and the free, free transfer era and name, image, and likeness, it shouldn't be that difficult to put together a competitive roster, the kind that Ohio State needs to go further. I'm, everyone wants to suggest that I, I stick to football. I, I mean, I've been around that sport for a long time, too, and I understand that it's not as difficult for Ohio State to achieve that as many people are making that out to be. Just because of the same stuff that we said about women's hockey, you know, that's also true for basketball, believe it or not, and probably uh, more so for Ohio State and the power of that brand. I don't want to talk about this for the full length of the podcast. And I said plenty about it last week. That's why I said, keep it in a nutshell, but go ahead. This is a, this is a Brazil nut. Go ahead. But it's, but that's also the point like Tim, I mean, it's. Yeah. No, that's a great, no, that's a great example of Nadine Muserall came in and took a program and is now taking it to the pinnacle, you know? Yeah. Uh, And like you said, I like Chris Holtman, you know, but I do. People have this idea that I'm pushing some sort oh, yeah. of agenda against him. I yeah. like his personality. The dealings I've had with him are great, and like I said, the players believe in him. I'm, I don't. I don't wish anyone to be fired from that situation. 
Yeah. I'm trying to assess the state of that program and what Gene Smith and Ohio State expect of it. In yeah. Expectations. Yeah. The, you're, what you're laying out for everyone is what the expectations are. And clearly the expectations have not been met. You know, I mean, and like you said, if you if you just uh, in a microcosm compared them to the chief rival, as they say, the team up north, it is not they have not measured up. And right. and, you know, forget about the Big Ten and championships just about with your with your closest rival, your biggest rival. They have not measured up. And like you said, they have not gotten to the Sweet 16, which I don't think is a big ask. You know, I, I think, think so. Being one of 16 teams left in a tournament, you know, that's no really even huge major achievement. And yet it sort of is. It's another step on the ladder, right? I mean, that's what you're getting to. And by now you should be making at least that step, those two steps uh, to, to the Sweet 16. It should have been done over the last several years, has not been done. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And that's the other part of this when – you're weighing it. And I know that there's no easy answer. And I also understand if they don't want their expectations to be, you have to get to a final four or win a national championship. That's fine. People that are satisfied with Chris Holtman and they want to see 20 wins and, and one, you know, one win in the NCAA tournament. That's fine. I don't care if you feel that way. And I, I'm not going to convince you otherwise. I personally believe that the standard that I'm setting out here of being a sweet 16 team on an annual basis and competing for a big 10 championship all year in and year out is not out of the question. And certainly Correct. Chris Holt is being paid at a level to do that. They're not, if you want to make this case that North Carolina and Duke and Kansas, you know, these blue blood basketball programs are playing a different game and that's their standard for success. That's fine. I, I completely understand, and you're, that's probably fair and right. But those teams aren't even in the Big Ten. And for Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State, these, these programs are not recruiting elite one-and-dones on a year-in, year-out basis. They're not competing against Kentucky for the same recruits. And they're building programs in a different way. And all of those other programs that I mentioned put a pretty big emphasis on football as well. Yeah. Now, Ohio State does that more than anybody else, and the results follow. But there's nothing that's, to me, to my mind, dissimilar about Ohio State and its rival, Ohio State and Michigan State, certainly Iowa, Wisconsin. Like, it's not as if basketball has some outsized importance and they don't care about football there. That's not true. It's not true. Right. So those are the teams that they should be competing against and in, in beating consistently, and that's not happening. Yeah. And if – and if you think that you just have to keep the recruiting class together because it's the best Chris Holtman has, well, if, if, if you made a move, I bet the next coach would be a pretty good recruiter. I bet even if he didn't keep together that entire class, he'd be able to either flip some guys or go in the portal and maybe have some success or keep pieces that are already there and, and win some games the same way that Chris Holtman did when he took over for Thad Mott and got Kata Bates, Diop, and Jay Sean Tate and won at the highest level that he has in his career so far. Yeah, like that's the way it works. And if they lose Malachi Branham and you don't make a coaching change, well, next year you're talking about an excuse of, well, gosh, they're just really young freshmen, you know, had this great class and they got to play and don't have any veterans. Well, why is that? Chris Holtman has been here for five years. Yeah. There's no excuse from Thad Mata that that could still linger at this point. Right. So, but, but 
But but here's why here's why I think you know he definitely gets the next year is because now he's, well, he's going to get yeah exactly. But now he's made it an attractive place. He's got this recruiting class. You understand? I mean, it's yeah. this is the fruition moment for for the program from an attraction standpoint. All the other pieces are in place. I mean, they have been. You know, uh, and uh, yeah. I mean, I think definitely. Uh, I'm curious about next season. I'm already curious about it and see where things are going to go. But uh, there is a standard set now. There has always been a standard set. You know, as you were talking there, I'm just thinking from 1995 on, 94, you know, was the Black Sox scandal, as I called it, when Ohio State got uh, drilled at, uh, at, uh, at Penn State, but came right back in 95. And from 95 on, there's only been a handful, a handful, maybe count them on one hand, maybe count them on three or four fingers, when Ohio State football program has not been in contention in some form or fashion for the national championship or being in that realm, you know, that is so difficult to pull off its nuts. And uh, basically they, they lead in, you know, if you look back to 95 and on, they've done it more than any other program, including Alabama, you know, before Nick Saban got there, it was almost a, had become almost a a joke to a certain extent compared to what it had been long ago. And it's just amazing how once you get the ball rolling, how things can keep perpetuating. And with basketball, even that, it takes some time. But like you just said, you can turn a basketball team around with one recruiting class. You can't do that I with football. Huh? I was won two games last year, and I know everyone saw what they did over the weekend. Yeah. Two, two yeah. games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll be back to talk about this about a year from now. <laughs> Because most people want to talk about football, right. uh, at least Me I too. do, and especially on my podcast. But uh, let's get my uh, Austin. Let's get right to my interview with Michael Brewster. Man, he was one of my favorite guys who ever played I State. I know I say that about everybody who comes on my podcast, but he and I talked all the time when he was a player. We we've stayed in touch since he left while he was a player at Jacksonville, and and then when he got banged up and still tried to make some teams, and and then when he got into this coaching thing and is trying to make it happen. And like I said, in the meantime, he, he earned his MBA uh, along the way. He's not just some fly-by-night football or nothing else but uh, kind of guy, but he clearly has dedicated himself to becoming a football coach. Let's get to that conversation, and you and I will come back and talk about what just a tough – road that is to take man to go from unknown coach to to a full-time job at a big-time university here's my here's my conversation with michael brewster as promised you know i'm taking a little bit of a trip down memory lane but also into the future here on my special guest this week ladies and gentlemen i think you most ohio state fans remember this guy uh his name's michael brewster michael brewster welcome to the tim may podcast finally my man Thanks for having me, Tim. Super uh, excited to be here. I know you are, man. You're excited about a lot of things going on in your life right now. You just, uh, you know, recently was named an assistant coach, full-time assistant coach uh, by Eddie George at uh, Tennessee State. You know, it's going to seem like I'm doing a Tennessee State commercial infomercial every three or four weeks because I had Eddie on a few weeks ago just talking about the year that was, you know, his first year as a head coach, uh, et cetera, all the uh, the uh, joy and the pain and the whatever you want to call it, you go through uh, rebuilding a program or taking a program to the next level. He turns around and uh, we talked about you a little bit on that podcast. He turns around and hires Michael Brewster, which makes, I think, three former Buckeyes 
three former Ohio State football players. You're always Buckeyes, but three former Ohio State football players on his staff, including Richard McNutt and Pippi Pearson. And I would think you're you're over the moon because you've been working at this for a for a while now, trying to get a a break in college football coaching. And uh, you spent some GA time, like at Bowling Green, and uh, and uh, last year with the University of Cincinnati under Luke Fickle, but uh, in Western Michigan too. And you did yeah. a little uh, stuff uh, with high schools before that, but you've got to be pretty much fired up about where you've ended up, right? Oh, man, I, I just, you know, sometimes the uh, stars align and things work out. And it's been a, it's been a long road just to get, you know, one opportunity. Um, you know, I went four seasons uh, in support staff roles, GAing, uh, Western Michigan, then Bowling Green, then coming, you know, down to Cincinnati uh, under Coach Fickle, worked with defense for a year, kind of shadowed uh, Marcus Freeman for the year with linebackers, saw how he does things, his process, um, then moved back to offense, worked with tight ends and um, this past season. And then, uh, yeah, four seasons, no interviews, and all of a sudden then I had two interviews. Um, and then, you know, Yep. Coach George was was able to hire me um, to coach to come coach the tight ends and uh, man just super excited. It's great to be here in Nashville. We just wrapped up our first week of spring practice, so um, you know starting to get in the groove and um, getting to know the guys and they, you know they're they're seeing how you know my process goes um, on a day to day basis and so you know I'm just uh, I'm super excited and, and just can't you know even describe the feeling to finally get an opportunity. Michael, though, man, you know, two years at Cincinnati, man, you guys saw the heights. I mean, that the the experience of last season has to be has to really, really resonate, right? I mean, wow. I mean, uh, you got the yeah. experience going to the college football playoff, but being part of this organization that got to the college football playoff, taking the first team ever, you know, from the non-power five group to the playoffs, that that's got to still give you a little bit of goosebumps, doesn't it? Being part of that. For sure. It was uh, it was an incredible experience. I mean, like I said, two two seasons at Cincinnati, um, you know, getting to see how Coach Fick uh, runs his program, how he's built his program um, to see, you know, how hard those guys play. That That's the one thing I'll always talk about is the way he uh, has instilled, you know, this effort that they play with is just incredible. Um, and, you know, it, it was just really cool to be in the Cotton Bowl and and play against Alabama. You know, we came up short, but um, shoot, in two seasons, what we lost two games. Yeah. You know, and we're both to top five, top six opponents. So um, you know, it, it was a uh, it was an awesome time and took a, took a lot away um, and felt really prepared coming in uh, to Tennessee State for this role. Hey, give me an idea here, real quick. What? What is the what is the one thing that just still sticks with you that you learned under Coach Fickle? Obviously, let's go back in time a little bit. Let's get in the time machine. 2011, mm-hmm. you know, you're a returning All-American center at Ohio State, and then all hell breaks loose. You know, yeah. uh, Jim Trussell has to resign. Luke Fickle is named the interim head coach at Ohio State. You're you're a captain of that team. Uh but yet you you got to see Coach Fickle become a head coach for the first time. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, sure. and I would think some impression was made there that was positive with him because he ends up bringing you on, you know, in a in a GA style role uh, with right. his team the last the previous two years. But yeah, let's get back to that 2011 thing. What what did you just learn uh, just watching him deal with being a head coach for the first time? But also, what did you learn yourself from that season that you still carry with you about? perseverance, whatever it is, 
you want you know you want to call it yeah i mean you know that that was obviously a really tough year um a lot of people were put in tough positions uh including coach fick and myself um wasn't the ending that you'd hope for. Um, but, um, you know, I think the main thing for me is, and I told coach Fick, this was look what you can do in 10 years In 10 years, you went from being, you know, a, a first time interim head coach to being coach of the year, um, yeah. from many different, you know, award recognitions and yeah. all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I just think the grit that he he displays every day, you know, every morning he's in there working out um, every day. He's pushing the staff, the players, everybody. Um, so just to see where he started and where he is now. And, you know, he got to mentor under two great coaches, um, Coach Tress and 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 learned a lot from Coach Meyer. So you yeah. kind of see he developed his own style kind of, you know, taking little bits and pieces from each of them, um, which I could definitely see just being within these last two seasons. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that I learned under him that I'll continue to do myself. Um, and, and again, I think the, the one thing is just preaching, playing hard and it's, it's demanded and those guys that they really do. And I, th I think that's the, that will always be the biggest thing I remember about Cincinnati is just how hard those guys play. I can't say enough about that. Hey, real quick before we move on, what, what's your – I don't know if regret's the right word. You know, probably mm -hmm. the 2011 team's probably not going to have a big reunion. One of the, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. You know, those kind of teams that, that, that basically ended up, uh, what, six and seven after you lost right. to uh, Florida in the uh, Gator Bowl. Uh, yes. They only – the first losing season since 1988, Ohio State. I'm, not, I'm only bringing that up from a mm -hmm. historical reference yet, you yes. know – you said you got in, in four years at Ohio State, you got to see a lot of things, man. <laughs> you know, you got to see the glory, the almost playing for a national championship, you know, all those kind of things. Being an All-American uh, in 2010 yourself, projected as a high draft pick. Mm -hmm. And after the 2010 year, but you came back for your senior year and, you know, you know, the, the whole team just sort of like uh, it wasn't a special. They ended up not being a special season, which I think hurt you. And your draft stock, I don't know if you agree or not, but uh, y'all didn't – trying to figure out who the quarterback was going to be. You know what I'm talking about, right on down the line. And yes. you dealt with that, you know, as a player. But uh, mm -hmm. you personally, what did you what did you draw from that now that you uh, can lean on from a standpoint of things aren't are always going to be rosy, right? No doubt. I mean, you know, the first three years um, – I mean, let's just say the, through four years start – you know, started 49 consecutive games at center um, – and by the way, the, second most, I think, in Ohio State history. Uh, it, yeah, I, I would I would like someone to fact check this, but I, I think that I'm the only person to start that many games uh, without redshirting consecutively. Now, you know, someone would have yeah. to fact that that's that's neither here nor there. I am proud of the fact that I was able to do that, play through injuries for my teammates and all those things. Um, but, you know, I taken away through, you know, what did I take away through that season being so difficult? Um, just keep swinging, you know, because, um, yeah. you know, my first three years thing, everything we touched turned to gold that, that last year, because of the circumstances, things were really difficult. Um, but just keep pushing forward. Then what went undrafted, then started as a undrafted rookie free agent at a position I hadn't played since high school at uh, playing guard. Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. In Jacksonville, and then at the end of my second season in Jacksonville, um, late December, got 
my ankle broke. I got rolled up uh, from behind playing left guard and that, that altered my career moving forward. Um, from there, you know, ended up getting cut the next season to being a practice squad player in Miami to going to new Orleans, tearing, uh, tearing my quad tendon. Um, so, you know, in both instances, I, I, I got to see, you know, the highs, the lows, um, and everything in between, um, which then, you know, getting into coaching, I just, you know, it's such a connection business. It really is. And, and to get your first job, you know, it, it, you're really going to have to rely on people, you know, and a lot of my, my offensive guys like Daryl Hazel and coach stress and coach Bowman, you know, they were just getting out of coaching, um, guys that would have been willing to hire me. So, you know, shoot, go in GA at Western Michigan, go in GA at Bowling Green, go do two years of support staff. And you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'm four seasons. I'm staring down five seasons of sitting in support staff. And I, <laughs> I know a lot of ball and I can't get it. I can't get a job. And I'm not, I'm talking for a lot of people. It's, I'm not the only one. So, um, yeah. but again, I just kept swinging. I can't tell you I'm the guy that went to the convention and put my uh, resume above all the urinals. I'm the guy that's called a million people for jobs. Um, so through it all, I think the good thing is my network has expanded. I mean, it's, you know, I yeah. say I've built, built a pipeline that, you know, someday I'll be able to, you know, take advantage of. Um, but again, I just kept swinging and, you know, right when, you know, you think you're going into season five, you know, grateful to be at Cincinnati, but, you know, I want to be a full-time coach. Um, so look, you know, kind of looking down the barrel at season five, like, man, another support staff season, you know, with all my experience and what I bring to the table. Um, but all those times swinging when coach George got the job last year, you know, I was blowing his phone up and he said, look, when there's an opening, I'll call you. Um, and there was an opening. He called me. Um, I actually interviewed for offensive line and um, they went with a, a coach, coach Lewis that um, has been coaching for a number of years. And, you know, I, I was, I was bummed, but understood and shoot two weeks later three weeks later uh the tight ends coach took a job uh, with the bills and the interview went really well and they called me back and did another small interview and um and then you know they thought i was the best fit and shoot the rest will be history but you know it's um you know just keep swinging because if you don't i mean if you give up you'll never you know you don't know when that opportunity is going to come but um it was it was the right time and Glad it worked out, dude. You, dude, you put you put your you put your vital information above urinals at the coaches' yeah. convention. Do you, you not know that story? No, tell me this story. This is a, uh, I mean, go tell, just tell me the story, man. It's okay. unbelievable. So, this is like circa 2018, um, the coaches' convention. It was in Charlotte um, in 2017. That was the year I was transitioning out completely hung up the cleats, yeah. uh, worked uh, coaching in high school football at Orangewood Christian in Orlando, which um, was for one of my my old high school coach at Edgewater. He was now at a smaller school. Um, did that, knew I was trying to get a GA job, couldn't couldn't find one. Didn't get that until uh, mid or late June of 2018. So I rolled right in the season at Western Michigan. Um, but uh, at the coaches convention, I didn't know what it was all about. I just, I thought maybe I don't know what I thought. I didn't know anything. So, I mean, if you don't know, how do you know? But yeah. I thought schools would maybe like have their own areas and you could go around. Um, I know it sounds silly, but I had no idea. So I took a whole bunch of packets with resumes and all this stuff. 
And I get there and it's just a million people. And I'm like, man, what am I going to do with all these? I mean, I'm not just going to go hand them out to people. So I was like, well, I, I know all these coaches, what do they do every night? They go drink. So um, what do they have to do in the morning after they've been hydrated? They got to go to the bathroom. So um, I took, I got there real early to the uh, convention center and, and literally put my resume above every single urinal and bathroom. Um, only got one call off it. Maybe I pissed more people off than anything. Pardon, ex- uh, hey, pardon the expression. Go ahead now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Maybe I pissed more people off than anything. I don't know. But um, shoot, I, you know, again, I was just taking another swing. Um, hey, who called you? Uh, it was a small, small school in uh, Texas um, about a GA job or something. I can't uh, remember exactly, but um, yeah. literally one one person. Now, it got, it got a little publicity, which – you know, that's always good. I'm known as yeah. the urinal guy now, but, um, yeah. yeah, it was a creative, it was a creative play. I don't know. It, uh, it was, it was worth it. So, but that just shows, that's just like, that's one of many things I've done to try to create opportunities. Um, but again, I, one thing I didn't touch on back to, um, things learning, you know, the ups and the downs, um, talking about going undrafted, being a high, um, you know, expected to be a, you know, a high draft pick maybe after my junior year coming back, which I would have done. I'll do a million times over. I would have come back. Um, now business wise. Yeah. You probably go. Uh, and I would encourage, I will always encourage guys to leave for the NFL if I believe that that's what's best for them. Um, but if yeah. I didn't, if, if all that didn't happen, okay. If everything doesn't happen. Um, and if I don't go to Jacksonville, which I chose to go to Jacksonville, I could have picked essentially could have picked at that point. I was undrafted. A lot of teams wanted me to come. Um, but I went to Jacksonville because Andy Heck was the only coach that called me prior to the draft. So um, I said, well, shoot, like I'm going to go to Jacksonville. He's the only guy that called me. They had a 14. Uh, their center was like 13 years in. I was like, OK, you know, I can maybe I can make this work. So went there and um, played for Andy Heck and had to play guard, um, which, you know, if I was drafted to play center, more than likely would have probably just stayed in my role and played center, but I had to learn a new position and um, nothing to take away from coach Bowman. Cause I think coach Bowman, um, he, t- well, I don't think I know he taught me everything about seeing the game, um, playing center, uh, learn, knowing how to call the game, um, understanding all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but when it came to like guard technique and I, I believe Andy Heck is one of, if not the best offensive line coach, uh, in football. Um, so yep. I had, I had two great offensive line coaches back to back. Now, the only difference was, was Andy coach Heck was teaching me how to play guard, which I hadn't done. So, um, if all that doesn't happen, I don't, I don't ever, I never play under coach Heck. Um, and probably 75, 80% of what I teach now, um, I learned under him. There's also a guy named Ron Prince. He was the assistant line coach in Jacksonville at the time, the former K-State head coach. Um, he also was a great uh, guy in that room that I took a, you know, a lot away from. So, you know, I say all that to say this, that, you know, coaching is my bigger purpose for sure. There's no doubt about it. Um, and without that experience and um, not only being under coach Bowman, but being under coach Heck, you know, learning a new position, um, I wouldn't be where I am now um, to be able to, teach guys at the level I believe I can teach at. And, and not only that, but then being, and, you know, I look back just to this past season at Cincinnati working under coach Denbrock and I was the offensive coordinator at LSU. Um, you know, I got to spend a year, you know, seeing his process, working with the tight ends, everything he, you know, all his knowledge, which he he's, 
extremely bright. Um, he was great to me. It was, it was great working under him. Um, I learned, I learned so much from him. So, you know, there's been some coaches I've been blessed that I've gotten to work and play under some great coaches. Um, you know, taking all those experiences away and, you know, I, I take, take the things I really like and make them my own. And, um, you know, and that's why I feel so prepared. And, and, and that shows this past week being, being at Tennessee State, working with these guys. Um, and, you know, they, they, they've recognized, I believe, quickly that, hey, this guy's going to be able to get us better. And, you know, I, I tell them, look, I never ran a route, um, so I'm not going to overcoach the route running. Our route tree is pretty simple. But uh, when it comes to blocking, you know, we're going to be yeah. some ass kickers. So, yeah. uh, you know, so anyways, long story short. Yeah, well, that's funny because uh, working for Coach Eddie George, they better be tight ends better be blocking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. and, uh, but that's the same way with Brian Day, man. I mean, that's the job number one, as you well know, the glorified tackle position of tight end. But uh, then past that, you know, get them into the pass routes. But yeah. you know, if Jackson Smith and Jigba's running free, you know, why do you throw to the yeah. tight end, right? As uh, <laughs> Jeremy Ruckert yeah. found out, etc. But I wanted to yeah. ask you this: uh, that that that's what's intriguing to me is, you know. Uh, Eddie George, like I said, I had him on my podcast a few weeks ago, and he's he's fired up about your enthusiasm and also your knowledge of the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we didn't get into, like, the fact you're coaching tight ends, which you were never a tight end. But, you know, uh, Walt Harris coached defense, you know, for a while right. before, he be- before he became an offensive guy, which then in the mid-'90s when uh, John Cooper brought him in at Ohio State, he revolutionized or changed over the Ohio State offense, you know, into a passing big time passing attack. And so you don't necessarily have to grow up over here to be able to do what's over here, but have you spent, I don't know, as you get a job as a tight ends coach, do you spend the next, uh, before you get started, do you just cram on, Hey, what, you know what I mean? More and more trying to learn about the position and what's, what's expected. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you know, Luckily, you know, Coach Fick had put me under uh, Coach Denbrock specifically to work with tight ends. So um, without that experience, could have I still came in and coached tight ends? Absolutely. I would have figured yeah. it out. Now, having that year of experience, learning the passing concepts, learning, you know, the route tree, you know, proper way to do this and that, um, how to manage, um, you know, you have – multiple tight ends you got to be able to you know rotate them and understand all that stuff and you got some it's sometimes 11 personnel you have one tight end 12 personnel two tight ends 13 personnel three tight ends in so like just understanding that whole process and all those things um you know i was just overly prepared now there's there's always going to be learning and new things and learning will never stop but um yeah, I mean, as far as like the route running and stuff, I mean, our route tree is pretty simple. Um, and, you know, really, I always say there's th- tight ends have to excel in three phases, blocking, catching and route running. So, you know, we make sure to work all those things. Now, obviously, our head coach will um, there will be a heavy emphasis on the run game. Um, yeah. That's uh, important. And also, and also to run the ball is is really how you dominate the game anyway. So yeah. um, Toughness. You know, that, that, right. Exactly. That's first and foremost. So, um but yeah, no, as far as everything else, you know, I just, I, I, coach Hazel actually prepped me a lot. He was actually, he lives in Cincinnati. His son, Kyle plays at Dayton. Um, so coach Hazel was the receivers coach at Ohio state when I was there and then, yeah. you know, went on to be Purdue head coach and all these things. Um, and he's one of my greatest mentors. Um, but we, we 
talked a lot through uh, the last year. Um, I'd go to his house and talk a lot about route running and those things. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I'm just always taking things away from other guys, yeah. um, drills, whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, no, we'll just, uh, you know, day by day. We have practice tomorrow, um, be practice number four. And then our spring game, I believe, is April 9th. So, yeah. um, you know, every day I'm getting better. I'm getting in my groove more, um, you know, and like, you know, I find myself giving my guys notes the same way Marcus Freeman would give his guy notes, his guys notes, um, you know, so literally – I take the best things I see from people and then I make them my own. So, you know, if I didn't work, uh, you know, mentor under Marcus for that first season in Cincinnati, I don't know. I never see his process. Um, and I liked his process. So yeah. something I took away. Yeah. Isn't it amazing though, what you've seen uh, just, mm-hmm. just in the microcosms. So Luke fickle just thrust into being a head coach, you know, mm-hmm. one minute he's not the next minute he is at Ohio state, you know, mm-hmm. things didn't work out for, many reasons that year but right. you saw him come back back bounce back whatever mm-hmm. but you like you said you work with Marcus Freeman Marcus right. Freeman is now the head coach yeah. at Notre Dame you know what yeah. I mean in a Crazy. in an instant because yep. uh, he you know went up there and took that job as defensive coordinator and then boom next thing you know he's a head coach I mean in an instant guys lives can change just like you posting your resume over the urinal or at least your phone mm-hmm. number you yeah. know you never know what's, what's going to happen next. Right. And, uh, uh, but here you are, you know, you're working for Eddie George second year, going to be the second year head coach at Tennessee state, but he's an icon, you know, uh, he's a Heisman trophy winner. I mean, he's been a, as I called him, he, he's a thespian, you know, he's a registered thespian. I mean, a, an actor, uh, et cetera. This guy has done all kinds of almost, you know, cosmopolitan man. And now you're working for him. And, uh, uh, and I'm just wondering, is is that in its own right kind of like crazy to you that this guy that was, you know, doing Hamlet or something, you know, three or four years ago is now your boss, your head coach. I mean, his life has changed dramatically. Like he said, he went from the back of the line to the front of the line without going through the rest of the line, you know. And uh, just how crazy is all that in your mind, man? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty surreal at first. I think I'm starting to settle in and. You know, it's, it's, you know, he's extremely bright, extremely intelligent. Oh, yeah. Um, man of his word. I mean, he said he and like I said, he didn't just give me this job, but I got turned down for the first one, which, you know, is what it is. Um, and I told them right after, like, look, I'll work for you guys any day of the week. Um, and, you know, three weeks later, they call me back. So um, he's a man of his word, um, integrity. Um I mean, just a, just a great person. And just, like I said, ext- I mean, he went to Kellogg. He's, he's been on Broadway. Um, I mean, he does everything. It's incredible. And, you know, it's, and it's cool when I'm sitting um, watching film with him on Thursday or Friday. And, you know, he, he's asking my opinion on things that, you know, we want to do moving forward. And it's like, it, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I love it here. I've only been here a week and man, I just, I can't say enough good things. And they're, they're the program is just coming up on its first year anniversary, you could say. Um, and the things he's been able to do and get done for these guys um, is pretty incredible. Um, the other crazy thing to me is, is that, uh, and I f- forget his name, but the owner of, uh, or the founder, I believe of Under Armour was his 
uh, roommate in, uh, I think they went to Fork Union or something uh, before Ohio State. That, yeah, that probably. Was yeah. Roommate. And um, and that's why we're, you know, all under armored out now. And he just got a new uh, locker room. Um, I mean, the things he's done since they've gotten here is pretty amazing. I don't know how he does it or, or where he gets, finds the uh, donations and all this, but um you he's know, a business. He's a he's a businessman on top of everything else. I mean, he knows how to network. He knows, you know, like you were talking about. You know, building that network is crazy. What it, how it can pay off for you? You don't even know, you know, that this is going to pay off for you ten years from now. Some guy you ran into, you know, right. uh, while you're walking the streets of Nashville or something, trying to, you know, become familiar with your new. So you know, you never know who's going to walk back into your life. I guess, and that's that's what's cool about Eddie because you know he's pressing buttons, man. He's not yeah. like like. Like he and I were talking about uh, the, you know, third and three calls on a Saturday afternoon. That's so much of a micro, just a micro piece of what being a head coach is, you know, or even being a coach like yourself. I mean, it's uh, it's crazy what you do just for those 11 or 12 week, you know, uh, Saturdays. Right. I mean, just to get to coach a little bit of football. Right. No doubt. And, you know, you know, being, you know, I I don't know because I've not been in that position, but being a head coach, you just, you're constantly doing so many other things than football. You really are just managing the whole program and um, everything that comes with it. So, yeah, you know, my, my job is easy compared to his. Um, but again, the things that he's been able to get done for this program and not even a year. I mean, it, it's incredible because I only, you know, when they first got there, let's just say things weren't exactly um, in tip top shape or, um, you know, everybody in alignment on things and what they've been able to do. Again, it's incredible. Um, you know, they, they were in two separate locker rooms um, just based on, you know, what the situation was. So that was one, you know, now they're all in one locker room, brand new locker room. Um just, just everything. They're starting to get that first class experience, and um, I'm sure Coach George would tell you this as well. Like college football, being a head coach, you know, it's much different than anything NFL wise. So, you know, with the recruiting, everything. So, I know, you know, he's, you know, he's constantly still learning and um, adapting, and um, you know, he's doing a great job at it. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, do you, do you feel like he's do you feel like he's sort of stuck his neck out for you? I mean, when a guy gives you a break, what you as do you, do you feel like he sort of stuck his neck out for you now you want to pay back, so to speak? I mean, what is that What is that sense of loyalty, et cetera? I mean, I'll be forever grateful. Um, not only did he stick his neck out for me, um, but the offensive coordinator, a uh, guy named Theron Age, Coach Age, he, uh, he, this is, he's, he's brand new here. Um, he was hired in – January. Um, and we got to know each other through the process of the first interview. Um, and he was, he also stuck his neck out there for me. Um, he was like, dude, you're a, you're, you're a star. Um, you just haven't had an opportunity. And so look, every day I see him, I'm grateful as well. Cause you know, yeah, his, his input is, I mean, coach George is going to make the final decision on who he hires, but the coordinator's input is extremely important. So they both stuck their necks out there for me. Um, so every, I mean, every day I'm, I'm never having a bad day. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing what I love getting, you know, getting to grow. I mean, there was no more growth opportunity for me in a support role. There just wasn't um, just based on, you know, my life's work of experience with ball. I needed to be in control of guys um, to teach them to, you know, build my plans for them day to day. So, yeah, no, I'm super grateful, forever loyal. Um, 
and you know, yeah. it, speechless. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Let me ask you this: something you won't be speechless on. Huh? You get a job like this, mm. you get handed a playbook. I mean, as a coach, do you, uh, I mean who who teaches you before you teach the players? Mm. How does it work? Of you know, just in a just give it to me in a nutshell, so to speak. What kind of shell would have this nut? Um, uh, how, how does it evolve from you getting that job to getting in lockstep with what they want their tight ends to do? So, ex- for example, and and becoming familiar with what they want their offense to do. How how does that work in like in a nutshell uh, way? Yeah. So, I mean, this in a nutshell, this one was unique and crazy because um, the onboarding process uh, they're trying to make it quicker, but it takes from the day it, you're really hired um or offered the job it takes like two to three weeks to get in the door um so yeah they gotta check you out right (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. so like just getting all the paperwork and all that stuff it just it's a little slower for whatever reason um like i said they're trying to you know speed that up moving forward but it is what it is so you know and we had a new offensive coordinator um new offensive line coach then you know me new tight ends coach um so the coordinator didn't bring a, an entire playbook that he wanted to take bits and pieces from things in the past and kind of build it um, yeah. as we went. So, you know, there wasn't just an entire playbook I could be handed. I also didn't, wasn't able to meet with my players leading up to spring ball because I was not officially hired yet. Um, and then they were on spring break the week before last. So um, literally walking in day one install one. So the playbook is broken up into installs. So you have, 10 installs. Every install has a little bit more for guys to digest. So, you know, they had already worked through install one a little bit and a little bit through install two, the weeks leading up. But at the end of the day, I wasn't in there. They weren't hearing my language, my verbiage. Um, So to answer your question, it's, uh, it's kind of fluid right now. Now we're not making up like everything is together. It's just, it's a matter of tweaking it and um, you know, making sure there's not, things that are rule breakers or on plays and all that. But yeah, you pretty much just day by day, just install one, work them through that, give them notes, corrections, watch the film. They get, you know, I say I prescribe drills. I don't just run daily drills. I mean, there are everyday drills, you know, some people do. um, Techniques. Yeah. But I have my basic drills that I like. Um, But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm constantly watching the film, seeing what, they're not doing well. And then I focus on those things. So if I need to make a new drill because they're struggling on backside cutoffs or whatever it might be, then I, I'm like a doctor. I prescribe them the drill and and that's what we work through that day in individual. So, um, but yeah, it, the process, like I said, has been kind of fluid because just so many new faces on offense. I mean, we, we hadn't even met as an offensive staff until this week, you know, this past yeah. week. So, um, you know, we're starting to, hit our stride a little bit and it'll continue to uh, evolve. It's interesting though. You as a player, I would think spring drills about the third or fourth set you go through, you kind of go, man, who needs it? I mean, I mean, I think any player, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you love spring drills uh, as a player, but as a coach, they are so precious, right? Those days, those two or three hour sessions, maybe I don't know. FCS, do do y'all get 15? I'm trying to remember. Um, I think you, I, I don't know, but anyway, uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're so yeah. precious that that time you get to spend on the field with players, you know, actually teaching football, you know, right. in a team kind of grouping, 
Yeah. Right. I mean, as a coach, you, you see how precious it is, right? It is. It is. And shoot, I only get what, 10 minutes of individual uh, work. So those 10 minutes are, I mean, it's, yeah, there's no water break in those 10 minutes. We got to roll because 10 minutes isn't very much. Cause you know, with at O-line when seven on sevens going on or this or that, um, you know, you can get some extra individual work in or special teams. They can get extra individual work in, but you know, the tight ends are involved in every aspect. And, you know, that's why tight ends also unique because they probably have to know the most, um, after the quarterback, because they have, you know, they got to know the formations, the motions, the passing game, the run game. You know, there's a lot Coverages. on their plate. Yeah. Um, exactly. Everything. So there's a lot on their plate protection, you know, so yeah. there's, there's a lot on their plate. Um, and that's why it's kind of unique. you got, you got to really pick and choose, like, where am I focusing? How much do I want them to know? How much of the big picture do they need? You know, I don't want to overload them. Um, it's the same thing when I'm giving them pre-practice notes. Like, I can't put too much on here because they're kids. As, as a player, I'm not going to read it. If you give me three pages of notes, I'm not, I'm not going to read every word. So try and just make it as condensed as possible and, you know, be player friendly because shoot, I know how it is. Um, yeah. I'll always see myself as a player. So, um, you know, I just try to tailor their needs. Yeah. And you're only as effective as the, as the least learned guy on your, you know, on your group, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. you got to tailor it to, like you said, to where everybody can learn. Hey, last thing, Michael, I appreciate you, man. Uh, you got yourself a little apartment there up on a high rise and, and uh, near, near the, you know, basically two miles from Tennessee state, kind of like down the street from uh, Vanderbilt uh, music row, the old music rows right down the road from you and stuff. Uh, do you have time? Do you have time as a, as a young, uh, still 32 year old uh, coach to go out and have a little bit of a good time or get to know your neighborhood or are you just for the most part immersed in this great break you've gotten? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, first and foremost, always going to immerse myself and uh, make sure my guys have everything they need. And that's that's always my first concern. Um, but, you know, you know, when I get some time, especially in the offseason, because season is just so busy, but in the offseason, try and find time to kind of get out, see some stuff. I mean, such a great town. You can hear live music anywhere you want to go. Um, you know, like you said, I'm two minutes away from campus uh, or two miles, I should say, probably yeah. five, 10 minutes based on if I hit every light or not um, to get on, you know, the interstate real quick. But, you know, it, it, it's just a great place to be um, with a great program, a great, I mean, our coaching staff is is crazy. The guy, the, I mean, our D-line coach, um, Coach Clyde, he, he had like 120 sacks in the NFL. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of NFL um experience on our staff which, which is which is really cool not to mention um coach pep and coach mcnutt um also being buckeyes so yeah you know, we we take a lot of grief you know in the building for the ohio state stuff because you know everybody likes to talk a little a little uh smack on that yeah but um but everyone's awesome but yeah it's it's just a great place to be all around and um you know you don't always get an opportunity to be in, in such a great city, especially in college, you know, NFL is always in a larger city, but in college, you know, a lot of times you can be in a small town or whatever. So just going to definitely make sure my guys obviously um, have everything they need. And, and when I get some free time, definitely uh, enjoy myself and enjoy my surroundings. A little yeah, bit. Plus, plus being a, a full-time coach now, you're, you got to have recruiting duties. I mean, <laughs> you yes. know, that I'm sure you've kind of dealt with that in the past, but now it's like, you know, you're only as good as the as the guys you bring in for the most part, right? I mean, uh, uh, do you do you feel fired up about that aspect of it? 
for sure. You know, and um, it's just crazy now because, um, you know, you have the portal, you got the the one-time transfers, you get, you got high school kids. So, you know, yeah, some teams are, I mean, they're just getting guys from the portal and they're, they're kind of, you know, so it's going to be interesting as, as that, um, you know, moves forward, you know, is that going to hurt more high school kids, um, you know, opportunity wise, because, you know, schools can just kind of go in the portal. It's really free agency. I mean, it's, it's a form of professional football now is what it is. Yeah. I mean, like um, Coach George said when I had him on, you know, too, though, you don't just grab anybody in the portal either. I mean, you've right, got to, right. you got to do your due diligence on these guys. Well, why did you leave that other place? You know what I mean? All this kind of uh, stuff. But uh, a man yeah. in need is – go ahead. No, I was just saying, yeah, and, and um, you know, from talking with Coach George, it doesn't sound like we, we're not going to be a program that's going to build a program off the portal. Right. Uh, now, like you said, sometimes you have needs. Um, you know, I need a tight end for the 2022 class, and I'm probably going to go that route, um, find a guy um, – that has, you know, multiple years left. I think he's got three. Um, um, he's visiting in a few weeks, but, you know, sometimes you have needs, you can go to the portal, guys can get a second chance. I think, I think it serves a purpose. I think it's also great. It makes things a little crazy because guys on your own team can transfer at any time. Right. Uh, so, you know, Hey, it is what it is. You got to adapt. You got to overcome. You got to, you know, stay on the forefront of those things. So and everyone's dealing with the same issues. So, um, Hey, you got to get with it. Well, whoever knew that putting your uh, your telephone number above a urinal at a coach's convention would even get any would get one phone call, much less, you know, and you did get that. It, but just, you know, I think it proved to uh, Eddie George how serious you are, you know, not that he was at that convention, but that story, that anecdote, you know, I'm sure resonates all over. Uh, just how serious you are about this. This is not a whimsy. I mean, you've got your MBA, I think, uh, didn't you? You got you graduated yeah. from Ohio State in 2011. You got yeah. your MBA, I think, from the University of Indiana, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're a serious, you're a serious dude. You're not just a, a leaf floating down a creek, right? No, yeah, no, I've, you know, I can't tell you how hard it was to get this first opportunity. Um, but I know I've said that a million times. I'll continue to say that. And I say that too, for people that are going through the same things, like just keep swinging, but yeah. So got my MBA from uh, the Kelly school at Indiana, which, you know, is a uh, very well regarded. And the nice thing was the NFL paid for it. So um, not only did I get a, a great MBA, but I, you know, I didn't pay a dime. Um, I you didn't pay a dime for either one of your either one of your degrees. That's unbelievable. Of course, you played yeah. football, but you know, <laughs> gave up body parts. But uh, yeah, you broke an yeah. ankle and you broke a wrist, <laughs> yeah. and you, you yeah. know, and yeah. you went through hell in 2011. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, no, yeah, I lost my train of thought on that. But yeah, uh, but no, you were yeah, talking about I mean, how. Yeah, yeah. Just so I essentially wanted my MBA and knew like through as I was GAing, I wanted to you know increase my value and knew that. You know, I mean, it's no it's no secret that college football is big, big, big business now. And, you know, to show people you have that business sense. And um, some people might say oh, that, is, that has nothing to do with football. But I mean, business has football has always been business to me. So, yeah. um, you know, my, my brother and my dad both being in the business world, Morgan Stanley. So, you know, that's it's just something I'm used to. And, you know, I'm not I'm not. I have no plans for that NBA outside of football. Um, I will never leave coaching. Um, people always, you know, oh, would you think about getting out of coaching and this and that? And like, nope, I'll like my, my opportunity will come. And when my opportunity comes, I'll do a great job and, um, you know, go from there. So 
Um, but yeah, no, I'm serious, dude. And like you said, just took a million swings and just, you know, the million first swing finally went through. So, um, yeah, just perseverance. Yeah. yeah. Home run. Grand by slam. The, by the way, you defense coordinator at Ohio State, Jim Knowles, you know, I went to Cornell, graduated, well, went to the, had a, went to a prestigious school there and he, he ended up uh, on Wall Street after a little while and then didn't like it, got, got back into coaching. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's just something about it, man, being around young people, being around the game uh, that's different, you know, and if you're, if you're good at it and you get the right breaks, you know, it's, it's just great to be a part of. Right. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that one of the main reasons too, why I would never get out is because um, in one of my classes actually at Indiana, you know, the teacher, teacher said, you know, do what you can be the best in the world at. And I think like, there's nothing I can do better than teach guys hand-to-hand combat essentially in the trenches. Yeah. Um, there's nothing I can do better than that. That's, I just was fortunate to play for some really good coaches and teachers and, you know, the way I learn and the way I make things my own, um, there's nothing I can be better at that. No CEO of any company. Yeah. I agree. And by the way, I'm not, I'm before we go, uh, I'm looking at the major, major situations there in football in, in uh, Nashville, you got Mike Vrabel, former Buckeye uh-huh. head coach of Tennessee Titans. You got Eddie George, uh, Heisman trophy winner at Ohio state, the head coach of Tennessee state. Got you, you and and Pep and uh, and Richard McNutt, who had that Heisman Trophy campaign. You don't remember that, but when he was at Ohio State, <laughs> and uh, great guy though, as you well know. Uh, yeah. I'm just wondering who the next head coach of Vanderbilt's going to be one of these days, man. Y'all could be, be the big triumvirate down there of Ohio State, yeah. ex Ohio State folks. But hey, Michael Brewster, thank you for joining me, man. If I could remember the name of this place, now, I've been sitting in a hotel. And we've been talking. There's a great breakfast place right down the street from where you where your high rise is there. I can't remember it to save my neck, but I will call you with it uh, later. Pancake but, pantry or something? What? Yeah. There's a place called the Pancake Pantry that yeah, everybody. That is it. Is it's, that it? It's really good. Uh, there you everybody. go. Well, you are you are you know. See, I can't remember things. I I call my daughter my my one of my son's names and vice versa. You know what I mean? When you when you get older, things kind of slip. But Michael Brewster, you know how much uh, you you and I go back a long way, my man. And I've been sure. looking forward to this for a while, and I'm. I feel really good for you because I know how much effort you put into this. We've stayed in touch for the last several years as you've climbed this ladder. Maybe that ladder was more like a walking across a little bit more, more of a lateral thing uh, for a while there, but uh, congratulations, my man. And uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Okay. For sure. Thanks for having me, Tim. Always appreciate your uh, support, your friendship, known you for shoot, what, 14, 15 years now. Yeah. I really appreciate you having me on. And um, like I said, we got to get you down to Tennessee State and maybe you can hit us and you can hit uh, the Titans and you can just do a big old Buckeye story. So there you go. Uh, maybe I'll come down for that Nashville IndyCar race or something, man. We'll, we'll just go. make it a try, make it a triad. But uh, Michael <laughs> Brewster, thanks for joining me, my man. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Yeah, Austin, you can you can tell by the excitement of Michael Brewster's voice, man. He is fired up. Yeah, he's at Tennessee State, an HBCU school, uh, FCS school. He's got a full-time job as a as an assistant coach, as a tight ends coach. He played center uh, at Ohio State, was an All-American in 2010, 2011, the almost forgotten year, the uh, the interim year between Jim Trussell and Urban Meyer when Luke Fickle was tossed into a real tempest there and uh, did what he could do. But the bottom line is uh, Michael Brewster uh, has fought hard, long and hard, to get an, a full-time assistant coaching job 
in in college football, and he's finally got one at Tennessee State. And by the way, that job, as you you know, as you heard in the interview there, they included at one point going to a coaches convention in Charlotte, not knowing even how a coaches convention works, but just trying to spread his name, his resume, and posting his name and number. And while they watch people should call him, posting it over the urinals, you know, uh, outside the convention rooms, knowing at least one coach uh, or coaches would see it. They couldn't help but see it. And he did get one call from it. He didn't get a job from it. But, uh, you know, he's he's an interesting dude who is finally – uh, it's finally paid off for him, this persistence. And, you know, it's funny because uh, during this time, he all, he was offered a job at another FCS school, but one that doesn't give scholarships. And they, they wanted him to come as the uh, full-time offensive line coach. And he didn't mention this on the uh, podcast, but uh, they were going to pay him $12,000 a year. You know, Tennessee State, I'm Figuring he's making anywhere from 55 to 75, somewhere in that realm. We didn't get into that, but that's pretty decent money still, uh, you know, for an FCS school. But the main thing is he's got a full-time job now. And the, the price a lot of these guys pay both financially, but also uh, just emotionally, just trying to get their foot in the door is amazing. And we see it even at Ohio State, you know, graduate assistants, uh, quality control guys, guys who are just either trying to get their name up or trying to trying to keep their name hot in, in the coaching profession. It's a tough grind for these guys, right? Well, yeah, and because there's such a – there's a finite number of positions that you can fill. And until the NCAA – like, I guess I would sit here and say I don't really understand why – the number was nine for so long and then 10, what the harm is. If you can afford to pay more coaches, you should be allowed to. It's supposed to be for the benefit of the student athlete, right? Like mm-hmm. what's better than getting more hands-on? You know the answer to your, you know the answer to your conundrum though, because well, not everybody not- can afford to have a 15-man staff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about not everybody in the 130 Division One schools can afford to have a 15-man staff. Go ahead. But not every, not uh, not everybody in those 130 are competing on the same footing as it is right now. So that's voting blocks. Go ahead. I, anyway, but because of that, because of the rule and the restrictions on the size of the coaching staff, to get those full time spots it is difficult. And you look at, I mean, some of the places that you coach. I mean, look at Jim Knowles' path and where he started, or Mike Yursich before you know he got here and the road he in Division Two and and lower the places that you, you cut your teeth and get good at it. Um, yeah. Some, some people are able to do it from the GA spot or an analyst position or quality control or whatever title they get. Some aren't. Some take, you know, you have to find somewhere where you can learn how to do it. And if you're cut out to do it, you know, remember when Brian Hartline started, his path is not going to be duplicated by very many people. But the question wasn't, do you know football? Like, uh, were you proven as a player? Like, yeah. Do you want to do it, the hours that it takes? Do you want to be a recruiter? Do you want to watch film all week? Do you want to spend 18 hours in the office? Now, to Ryan Day's credit, this staff doesn't spend nearly as much time in there as maybe the old one did, uh, and they have a maybe a little bit better life balance, but it's still 24-7 that you're on call, responsible for your unit and the future guys who might be in it, and it is not for everybody. Yeah. Brian Hartline found that, that it was. Rooster's going to, you know, clearly this is the life that he wants to chase, and he's uh, dove in with both feet. And I respect the hell out of those guys that do it. 
because they're often putting in the same number of hours or more that the GAs and control guys and analysts than the full-time coaches just to make sure that they can do their job and set them up for the success and that maybe one day they'll be elevated to that position. That's how a lot of jobs work. I know that, you know, football is not the only one and our profession has a lot, has some similarities as many others do too with paying your dues and getting to the top. But uh, man, there's that funnel to get there and football is really difficult. And upside down, it's an upside down funnel. You're exactly right. right. It's like, you know, and in some ways, might be easier to get to the NFL than to get one of these full-time coaching jobs like at Ohio State. So yeah, I'll tell you that story. Watching the San Francisco 49ers game way back when, and they showed a shot of the uh, of the coaches' booth one night. It was a it was a, one of those Monday night games, and there's Bo Pelini sitting in the back of it. This is like 25, 30 years ago. I'm going, that's so that's where Bo Pelini is now. You know, and now you know. Granted, his he's he's had an interesting career since then sure uh, but he's been a head coach a couple of places you know and uh but no you're you're exactly right uh uh but it, like like michael and i were talking about too though it's along the way what kind of hookups what kind of uh what kind of network do you develop you know that that has so much to do with where you end up i mean we saw uh, uh ryan day you know he played for offensive coordinator chip kelly at new hampshire well the next thing you know he's in the nfl for a couple of seasons they were probably forgettable years, you know, at Philadelphia and then San Francisco with Chip Kelly. But he had that hookup, which took him places. But that hookup also helped him get into some other places. And then here's Justin Fry, who had a hookup with Ryan Day. You know, these the hookups are as, are as important, meaning this guy knows because he worked with you before, he can trust you. You know, you, there's some loyalty there. There are all these kind of things that go in the machinations of putting together a a staff and then getting your foot in the door. Right. I mean, it's just, and we see it all the time at Ohio state guys coming and going, but guys sticking around like Keenan Bay, like you just talked about, this guy's been an invaluable part of, in my opinion, of the staff. You agree. He's been there for a long time and you know, it's, it'd be hard to imagine them without him. It would. And, and when all these conversations were ongoing in December and January for Ryan day, you know, obviously the big, big, picture assessment was defensive coordinator and Jim Knowles and then who you're going to fill out with the full-time staff. But there was a lot of time and energy spent on a situation like Keenan Bailey, who had, I don't want to, I knew the numbers at one time and I don't want to spill them all, but at least three full-time job offers. And I think as many as five this off season that was coming off of a previous off season where he was approached by an NFL team for a full-time spot. Yeah. He's very well known in the coaching circles because of the reputation he's built and the amount of work he's done at Ohio State in a variety of different roles. And because of, like I mentioned this earlier on in the show, because of the way staff building has changed and the amount of money that is dedicated to that, Ohio State was able to come to him and say, look, we think that you're an important part of this. You're not going to be able to maybe do this recruiting. You're not going to have this truly fancy full-time title or any of that. You're important. And you can go take down this. You can go be a position coach somewhere else. Now Nowadays, the pay would be probably similar to what he's going to make at Ohio State this year. Or we think that you have a bright enough future that you could be an offensive coordinator somewhere. Or we could groom you to be a head coach. And, and rather than just being in a position room 
with the quarterbacks or just in a position with the wide receivers as he has been throughout his Ohio State time, you know, maybe you're taking a, a, a more of a coordinator perspective and spending more time with Ryan Day instead of Brian Hartline or Corey Dennis. And yeah. that's one specific example. But, you know, that's that wasn't really the case uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, he's not one of the ones anymore who's going to class and, and having to finish a master's degree and eating ramen every night. Now, there's plenty of those guys that are still on around Ohio State because of what that can mean down the road. But you know, when people talk about the anal- the prevalence of the analysts and, and all that stuff, you look at Alabama and you know Bill O'Brien or Lane Kiffin and uh, or uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, whoever these these big name guys that come in. And Ohio State's done that a little bit. They did that last year with Paul Rhodes. But to get to organize a practice and get through it, you know to be able to cut up film and study advanced opponents. And even to some extent now being allowed maybe to DM some recruits the way that they weren't used to before the importance of these guys just to get through the day to day has never been uh, greater. And, and, you know, that's why you brought this up for a good reason, I think. And if you've got the courage and work ethic to get through it, uh, I, it's a thankless job, and yes. we all get to reap the benefit when we see it on Saturdays in the fall, but it's 365 days of sacrifices to do it, and, and I tip my hat to them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, you know, and people always ask me, you know, a lot of people ask me because money always, you know, <laughs> is at the forefront of everyone's thing and talking about what different assistant coaches are making now and stuff. And I just remember when, when assistant coaches, even at Ohio State, you know, I think Nick Saban probably made like 26 – Maybe I made 26,000 way back in the early 80s right. uh, before the Midnight Massacre or whatever you want to call that, you know, <laughs> after after the Navy uh, Liberty yeah. Bowl. Uh, but, uh, but the bottom line is, you know, the jobs we're talking about, I'm talking about full-time assistant coaches jobs, the, ma- the vast majority of them are nowhere near what the places like Alabama, Ohio State, USC, uh, Texas, you know, the big-time uh, Clemson, the big-time, really big-time programs pay – most of these guys are making a decent living, probably six figures at many of the power five schools or power five, probably for sure. But uh, many of the division one schools, but not what not the kind of money you think they're making. It's just the creme de la creme jobs. I'm not necessarily saying everybody's got a creme de la creme job is a creme de la creme coach. You know, <laughs> you know, you, you and I both know that. Right. Yeah. Uh, but 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 I more power to them, you know, in, in that regard. Uh, and uh, but I guess what I'm getting to is just the the sacrifice that a lot of these guys go through just to get a shot, them and their family. You know, the best the best thing I think you can do as a an aspiring coach is to be single. You know, so you could move from from here to there to yonder, just like Ryan Day. Look at his resume. He went back and forth the country a couple of times with his family before he landed at Ohio State and uh, has now set down roots, which is not why he wasn't. You know, everybody keeps. Everybody keeps thinking for him like he's in a hurry to get out and go to an NFL job and become a, you know, you and I don't get that impression. I get the impression he feels like he is building something, continuing to build on something big time at Ohio State. And, uh, you know, uh, it can really it can really take him places from a legacy standpoint. And that's my little bit of a segue into, oh, my God. 
is it ever going to stop the stories about Urban Meyer and his uh, <laughs> nine months at Jacksonville? No, I don't think it will. And I don't think I don't think the athletic story, which I mean seems reasonably well reported to me, I don't think it really covered any new ground. I, yeah. I know that people are latching on to the Aaron Donald, you know, quote and. You and I both know that Urban Meyer knew who Aaron Donald was. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, that's the flashy one, and it's getting people to read it. And I don't, I, but I didn't see anything else about it that I, I didn't either already know or hadn't already been yeah. reported um, elsewhere. And I mean, as Pat, there's a part of, I, I'm not, this is just a fact. Yeah. Urban Meyer is one of the most passionate recruiters and talent evaluators in the history of college football. Aaron Donald would not have been someone he didn't know who he was. Yeah. Even if he wasn't an elite recruit, he wouldn't have been unknown to him. And he's also more sarcastic and yes. um, potentially taken out of context. I, I don't know. I, I don't know the reporter. I don't know the source. I, I find it – I'm incredulous that he wouldn't have known who Aaron Donald was, and I don't believe that that would hold up to any sort of reality or scrutiny. But, I mean, it, it helped uh, get people into a story. Not sure what the point of it was four months after he was fired, um, how that helps anybody understand the situation in Jacksonville any better or understand Urban Meyer with any more clarity – uh, than they already had about Josh Lambeau or his inability to adjust from college to the NFL ranks. Like, I don't think it broke new ground, but maybe that's just me personally. And and you and I obviously both know him better than ninety nine point nine percent of the world. So yeah, I guess I guess that might shade our feelings on that. But yeah, but I'm it makes me mad. It makes me mad a little bit that my, you know that necessarily our dealings with him, both in front of and behind the scenes that uh, we were misled or they, you know, we, we didn't know the real urban. I go, no, I know the real urban. Real urban is a toe up your butt uh, coaching style that it basically, you know, Frederick Douglass, you know, agitate, agitate, agitate. That's his coaching style. He, yeah. you and I've talked about that many times on this, on this podcast and uh, you know, in college football. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, probably didn't appreciate that, you know, and understand, but, but, it, but the bottom line was uh, they got results from it. Uh, you know, he never, you know, there's no brutality that I can remember ever associated with Urban Meyer and f college football players at Ohio State. He was quite demanding, as we all know. He got the results, uh, played for a national championship, was in contention almost every year at Ohio State that he was there probably every year when you really think about it, uh, yeah. was in the thinking about it. But, yeah, he had his own coaching style, just like everybody else does. Like Ryan Day is different from him. And uh, uh, But, you know, I don't know. Just people hold a grudge, and uh, the excuses are there for why things didn't get done. But, you, you know, it comes a time when you kind of got to look in the mirror and understand that, you know, even when he left Jacksonville, there wasn't no big flip-flop. You know what I mean? There, when he was asked to politely leave, they had no flip-flop on their season. They didn't get suddenly a lot better because they were, you know, the tyrant was out of the building. Uh, 
wow, you know, the, the general manager situation there is very interesting when you look at guys who turned out even uh, even uh, interviewing for the head coaching job there because of the GM, you know, you just got to think there's a lot of things that are going on there that weren't part and parcel of Urban Meyer. But Urban Meyer was the – when you're a college head coach, you're used to making a statement about I want this and it happening, you know, or somebody answering for it. Yes. In the NFL, as we all know, that is not necessarily the case depending on uh, the program, right? I think Urban Meyer was still expecting – people from Ohio state after he left to uh, still be on call for that sort of snap your fingers and you get it. I mean, that's yeah. the way you grow accustomed to that. And he had built uh, an empire for himself in college. You and I talked about this uh, at this time last year and for the draft and around the combine. I was never, I, I think you were curious about it more than anything and that you weren't going to make any sort of judgment about it. I was skeptical about the transition. Yeah, you were. Start, and I didn't think it was going to work. And I would have loved to have seen it work. That would have been pretty fun. But I, more than anything, I just wonder from the people that he talks to and gets advice from or communicates with regularly, who told him that this was going to, this was a good idea or going to work? Yeah. Because I know that. I had multiple conversations with him the year he was out and doing the weekend kickoff shows at Urban's Pint House. And, uh, you know, the Texas job was in the mix. And I, he said from the start, and I, and I, that's why I was refuting it strongly that college football and name, image, and likeness and that stuff wasn't going to be a fit. And he didn't think his style was going to work there anymore. I guess the, the competitive side of him won out and that he decided to give the NFL a go. But yeah. I, I said, you've got a good thing going here. You get to vacation. You're doing TV, making a couple million dollars a year. You are Your coaching record uh, will go down forever as legendary at Ohio State. You don't need this. And I, frankly, don't think it suits. I, I, I can't imagine that your conversations with him were all that different. So I just want to know who told him that, unless it was just his accountant, which that would be fine. I would understand that, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the main thing I reinforced with him was that in the NFL, as opposed to college football, you know, if you go up and like pop the kicker with your toe, you know, five out of 10, what's a five out of 10? I don't even know, understand what that is, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. that's just your way of getting after him. But uh, in pro football, a guy can take it the wrong way and file a complaint with an NFL PA and the next thing you know, you know, you're being uh, you're being brought up. You know, you've got uh, all these assistant coaches. They have they have agents. They're talking to their agents. You know, that's how stuff gets, quote, leaked out about what a tyrant or whatever you are. When, in fact, you're just you're coaching just like you always have. And yeah. I'll never forget when I had him on my podcast, man, late June uh, before, you know, last year. Before he started the job, he he was raving. I was I was talking to him about how you know there there are other people you have to answer to in the NFL that you know complaints can come from a lot of different places. And he talked about how they had just had their this great round week of OTAs, right? Just he was fired up about the OTA. The next week, he gets a hundred thousand dollar fine because they were a little too whatever it was physical or whatever it was in the OTAs. And I'm just going, oh my goodness. 
it's happening. You know, yeah. it's happening just like we thought it would, because yeah. you got to think there were some players there going, yeah, somebody needs to kick some butts around here. And then you got to think there were the other ones, the ones who get on Twitter, you know, like the same people get on Twitter and complain. There were other ones who were complaining behind the scenes. There were coaches there who weren't, who didn't do their homework on Urban Meyer. Uh, but Chris Ash was there with him. Charlie Strong, I think, was with him. Uh, uh, Anthony Schlegel was with him. They know what Urban Meyer is all about. You know, they probably understood it. I had, you know, we talked to Tim Walton. Tim Walton, you know, didn't have any major complaints about Urban Meyer. He's now, obviously, Tim Walton's now coaching on the Ohio State staff, but he was at Jacksonville last year. But those aren't the only guys on the staff, you know, and uh, it only takes a few. I'm not saying that Urban didn't rub people the wrong way because I guarantee you he did, and he did it on purpose, you know. (laughs) That's the safest bet you've ever made. Yeah. But, uh, wow, you know, what's that old term? Man up, right? But anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think I digress. I'm sorry. They, you know, Jacksonville probably needed some of that. But when, when Urban Meyer does that in 2012 in Columbus and you have Zach Bourne and John Simon outdoors, you know, for workouts and take their logos away and don't let them use the locker room. Yeah. Well, I mean – that's different than – and, well, it was different then. I guess I should say that because the situation is not the exact same now as he, Urban Meyer, referenced and, and knew himself um, in 2020 when all this was coming uh, as a possibility with Texas or USC, which neither of those things were ever likely to yeah. happen. But, you know, the situation for all of sports has changed. And that sort of Bear Bryant, Urban Meyer, you know, Bobby Knight, approach doesn't doesn't work and Earl Bruce coached like that for example you know I mean for good good reason you're not allowed to do that and yeah and I know that it's it's uh we all sit up and and even from different generations say well this is what we went through and you know it sounds like uh you know uphill both ways or get off my lawn all that sort of stuff but you know the 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 times have changed and I, I think that it's fine but the point is that at the NFL level, they were already at that stage where the players were empowered and making millions of dollars and, you know, have the ability to move or, or reveal what's going on behind the scenes in a way the college players didn't used to have. And, you know, they probably needed some of the, the culture changing toughness that Urban Meyer brought in. And I've talked to, to Schlegs about this with what they did with their, their strength program. And they had a lot of success with it. Yeah. Uh, He'll, he'll be back. Um, I think pretty soon on some Columbus airwaves and can talk about this more in depth, but I think something I talked to him about a few weeks ago was like, they were, or they were proud of, they were like number 31 in the league before they got there in soft tissue injury. And last year they were fifth. Yeah. They made changes with the strength program and, and, you know, behind the scenes stuff that were, that were working and they needed some of that. Now it didn't, it didn't entirely mesh because uh, of the situation at the top and it being professional athletes, but some of that was probably necessary and, you know, there were just it didn't work in a way that I thought it, it might not where wires got crossed and, and he tried too hard to make it college football and the NFL just isn't that. And yeah. it never will be. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, just when you, just when you guys, call, just when we got, you guys call it a business, we call it a game. And when <laughs> we call it a business, you know, you call it a game. 
you know, that, uh, John Matuzak line, you know, from uh, North Dallas 40 still resonates. Uh, it's interesting now, but uh, like more people have power than ever to complain when things aren't cushy for them anymore. And, uh, you know, I guarantee you that was the first things Urban Meyer kicked out of the uh, facility were cushions. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, hey, we'll be back next week to talk about Ohio State football again. Uh, you and I are going to get to watch at least part of a practice, I think, again this week. Uh, uh, in the interim, I'll turn go from 67 to 68 years old, the day of which kept a secret. Uh, so I'll be a little bit wiser. How are we supposed to get a, a birthday party if we don't know no, what you want? You don't celebrate after you get to be about 50, man. You'll find that out. Uh, Liberty will probably keep bringing it up to you, though. But uh, but the bottom line is I'll be a little bit wiser than I was a, a, uh, a week ago because I'll have the credentials there to prove it. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I'm really looking forward to really kind of getting into like the, the meat of the Ohio state spring drills, because this is a very important time for Ohio state or the restructuring of the defense. Uh, who's going to step up on that offensive line to provide depth. I think they've got, like you and I talked about, they've got, uh, they've got a starting five. I think they can side with anybody, go against anybody. We'll see where the depth comes from there. Some guys need to step up this spring. And of course, you know, the wide receiver room, we've talked about that in depth, pardon the pun, uh, but you know, just, or is, you know, or is Jaden Ballard going to really step up and become a factor in there with those other guys we've talked about so uh, prolifically over the last several weeks? But, you know, I know you're with me on that. I mean, uh, spring football, boy, you just wish you could watch every practice, don't you? I mean, I do. I, I've had this conversation with Jerry Emig numerous times, and I've been at places where you get to watch every practice. Yeah. And, uh, that's why I say that these GAs and I see them doing that work every day and I get worn out and exhausted just from watching every single day. I don't know if I could do it. I guess that makes me too soft for it, but yeah, uh, I'd like I, to see, I would like to see uh, a handful of practices in their entire duration more than I would like to be there every single day for 20 minutes. I, that's what I'm my point, my point is, I'd like to see them when they're practicing real football. Well, instead you of and stretching I, hey, and loosening up, you and I, I'm sure that we can make that happen. Yeah, well, you know what I'm saying because that's where you really, I mean, if you pay attention, you can see guys that are doing, they're going this way and going that way, you know, in a yeah. relative sense. And yeah. uh, it's yeah. interesting. I have to, I used to get to watch every minute of every practice when Earl was there, when John Cooper was there, with a few exceptions, you know, but then things started getting closed off near the end of the John Cooper thing. And, you know, I, I really miss it because, you know, you, you get to know a lot of people, you know, not just the football players. And, uh, but you really get to know the football players. And, and that's what I miss, you know, I mean, I would still be doing, I know I'm going to be 68 years old here really quickly, but uh, I miss that, you know, because that was the fun part in my opinion of the job was getting to know guys. Yeah. And, I mean, that really helped. Well, certainly yep. when I started, and it was that way uh, at Wyoming. And even uh, you know, I'd go – I didn't go every day because I was commuting back and forth with, from between Casper and, and Laramie. And, you know, I'd make sure that I was at two of them a week. And they would practice in or Memorial Stadium. Um, didn't have – obviously the situation was a little different than Ohio State. But, you know, talking – to the trainers and the medical staff who don't always have that much to do until something goes haywire out there, just shooting the breeze and yeah. things that they know and the situations people are dealing with. I mean, yeah, I know that this, I, I'm, I'm going to say with hundred percent certainty that 
back when you were at Earl's and, and John Cooper's practices that you didn't need to ask the head coach for the availability report because you got it directly from the trainer who you talk to every single day. I talk to uh, Billy Hill sometimes 30, 30 minutes to an hour. We would just shoot the bull and we'd all, you know, you know, and it was no secrets. You know what I mean? It was like about who was banged up, but mainly we just shot the bull about fishing and other things. <laughs> yeah. For 29 minutes. And then for one minute you thought, okay, well, yeah. it's going to be exactly four weeks until this yeah. white is going to be back. And then, yeah, you, um, yeah that was, and I, I used to quote him by name because I didn't care. So yeah, I did uh, too. I mean, Earl didn't care and neither did, uh, neither did, uh, neither did John Cooper. I mean, you know, you know, people can knock John Cooper all they want, you know, I, I don't care. I mean, there, yeah, there was, there was a time they, when it came to grabbing the brass ring, they fell short, you know, without a doubt, but they were at least grabbing for the brass ring. You know, they had a shot at the brass ring, but, the, but the working relationship and you and I both know, I mean, I really like Ryan Day, you know, I, I like him a lot. I just think he is almost a consummate kind of almost everyday kind of fella who also happens to be the head coach at Ohio State and understands his role there and what that entails and everything can't be public purview, et cetera. But, you know, you can have conversations with him. But you and I had conversations with Urban Meyer too, you know, on a real kind of basis. And you just kind of – you kind of miss being able to do that every day, I guess is my point. But that's just me, an old man, you know, not complaining, but sending suit back at the deli. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It feels kind of crazy for me that I'm at that point too where I can reminisce about that and and, uh, what it used to be like to cover the team and and how much easier maybe it would have been for for people in our shoes, Um, certainly now. But I understand why it's different. I do too. Uh, and the I was the only guy there, usually me and uh, Dom DeBerry and Paul Spahn. And occasionally, uh, you know, when Bruce Hooley showed up, he would be there. But uh, finally, but uh, but uh, but there yeah, there weren't there, there weren't 30 dot com sitting there or 30 or 40 reporters from five or six or eight dot com sitting there waiting to talk to him. I remember when dot com was a uh, was a dirty word, you know, at least around the dispatch. I don't know yeah. why that was. Never, never understood that attitude. You know, that's how you get left in the dust. Is when you think that's something. Conversation. Yeah, but that's how you get left in the dust when uh, you see a train go by. You know, and you're in your covered wagon. Yeah, I won't laugh. That's, that's, that's a fad. Look how dangerous. Look how dangerous that is. <laughs> they don't even have tracks everywhere. You know. Well, you know what I'm talking about. But I digress. Hey, I'm Very getting, Very getting carried away here. Uh, uh, thanks again for joining me, Austin, on this Tim May podcast. You're, you're quite the co-pilot, my man. We have some great conversations. I just hope, uh, you know, when this thing crashes, that black box, they never find it. You know what I'm saying? Because the conversation we had when we took our eye off the ball would be bad. But, uh, you know, until next week, for Austin Ward, this is Tim May. We'll see you then. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.